This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. So we will now be moving in time of scripture reading. Today, we'll be reading from Jonah 3, verses 1 to verse 10, the NIV. I'll give you all a moment to take out your Bibles, or alternatively, uh, you can follow along uh, with the words on screen. So Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered in sackcloth, Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of God. So I'll now pass the time over uh, to Nick Wong for the message. So thank you, Nick. Good morning, friends. Uh, let, let's pray and ask God for help. God, a source of light, by your word, you give light to the soul. Uh, pour out on us a spirit of wisdom and understanding uh, that being taught by, by you in your holy scripture our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and godliness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, so please keep your Bibles open uh, to Jonah chapter 3. My, question, my first question today for you is, how are you doing with your New Year resolution? Now, I haven't failed in keeping my New Year resolution this year. Wow, what's my secret? My secret is this. I forgot to make any New Year resolutions. So because I forgot to make any New Year resolutions, I didn't fail to keep any, I didn't break any of my New Year resolutions. So each year we resolve uh, to eat less, sleep more, uh, shop less, exercise more, but it's really hard uh, when, we are at, when you are at a buffet with really yummy food, uh, like our church camp is coming up and the buffet is really good. If you haven't signed up, uh, please sign up. Or when you're, when you're feeling down and the objects of your desire are just a click away on your shopping apps. Or maybe you've had a really long week 
and that 8am exercise class just feels out of reach. Now sometimes these failures can add up and become something worse. But like in the US, you see this, in the US there's research to show why people die earlier than they should. So that these, these are preventable deaths. So this is what they conclude. Let me, let me read to you what the research says. The research concludes that up to half of all premature or early deaths in the United States are due to behavioral and preventable factors, including modifiable habits such as tobacco use, poor diet, and lack of exercise. So friends, up to 50% of the people in the US could have lived longer if they persevered in making these small changes in their lives. This is true in the physical sense, where changes that you make can actually be really good for you, disastrous if you don't make any changes. But this is also this is more true in the spiritual sense. The, the Bible's word for change, a spiritual change, is called repentance. Repent. Repentance is like a U-turn in your minds and in your attitudes towards God. So if you don't change, if you don't repent, if you don't U-turn, there's a fate that's far worse uh, than just an early death. You see, Jesus said, if, you don't, if we don't repent, we too will perish. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now this perishing, this death, uh, is a picture of what happens after you die. So if you don't change your mind about God, if you don't U-turn, if you don't repent, you will suffer far worse a foul's punishment after this life. Oh, but you may ask, what is repentance? What is this U-turn? What does it look like? Well, the answer for us is in Jonah chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please keep it open. Today we'll be looking at Jonah chapter 3, and I'll show you that it's a story of U-turns, a story of repentance. So in our story today, our true story today, Jonah U-turns, the Ninevites U-turn, and God U-turns. So we look, at this, we look at this passage and then we think about the so what question. What this means for you and for me. So if you have your Bibles, please open it up to Jonah chapter 3. Okay, I'll start with verse 1. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now do you know what happened the first time Jonah heard the word of the Lord? You see, Jonah, Jonah is, uh, is God's prophet, is God's spokesperson. He tells people what God wants to say. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, you look a few, in one page before, God told him, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, the spokesperson, didn't want to speak. So that's Jonah. He didn't want to speak. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. He went to Joppa. And then he took a boat to try to go to all the way the other way, to Tarshish. He fled on the boat. But God sent a storm to stop Jonah. So the people threw Jonah into the sea. And God sent a fish uh, to swallow Jonah. And last week, we learned that Jonah repented. And God made a fish spit Jonah out on dry land. So that's where we are up to now. So let's continue the story at verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. 
Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, Jonah obeyed the Lord. So for Jonah to preach at Nineveh, the passage says, he had, to, he had three days to go to all the important places in the city to preach so that everyone can hear what God has to say. So on day one, he went out and preached. Okay, let's see what Jonah's message is. Jonah's message is in verse 4. Jonah began going a day's journey to the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now this message is a message of doom. But it's also a message of hope. So let's look at the message of doom. It's a message of doom because it says, oh, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. All the, the whole city, imagine, will turn upside down. It's going to be destroyed, crushed, annihilated. Well, just like what Dominic did to the cockroach a few weeks ago. So for those of us who didn't know, uh, a few weeks back, there was a cockroach in the hall, but the cockroach met its end when it met Dominic. <laughs> it was quickly crushed, quickly uh, put, put to an end by Dom. So God, in, the same, in a bigger sense, has that great power to crush Nineveh. Now remember the storm back in Jonah uh, chapter 1 verse 9? Chapter 1 verse 9, uh, this, this, this is what Jonah said in the storm. He said, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So the Lord is the God of heaven. His power is, is on another level to, to any, anything we can imagine. And the Lord made the sea and the dry land. So anything on the sea, anything on the dry land, a God can devastate. But just look at Jonah chapter 1. Just ask Jonah, he was stuck in this great storm. It can't reach land. This is a message of doom. But this is also a message of hope. But why hope? It's hope because God gives them 40 more days. See, God doesn't say, I'm going to destroy you tomorrow. I'm going to destroy you now. No, God says 40 more days. And when God gives them 40 more days, it's actually a warning to repent. This is what God says in another part of the Bible. This is how he acts. This is Jeremiah chapter 18. He says, If at any time announced to a nation or the kingdom that is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent. I will not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. So in this passage, it says, if God warns a pagan nation about coming judgment, the nation repents, how will God respond? What does verse 8 says? God will relent. God will relent. So God sent Jonah. On day one, Jonah preached this message of doom, of hope. How did the Ninevites respond? Will they be overturned or not? Now the Ninevites, they U-turn. Everyone believes in, in God's message on day one. Look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, all the Ninevites all uh, humbled themselves by fasting or wearing sackcloth. They all deprived uh, themselves of food. 
change out their nice clothing to wear sackcloth that is itchy, rough, and uncomfortable. So they denied themselves for food and they wore sackcloth. Now, what's going on with fasting and sackcloth? You know, fasting and sackcloth are, are ways to show grief, are ways to show grieving, in this case, grieving for sin. Show, show that they are anguished, they are sorry that they have offended God, they have done what God says is wrong. To show that they are genuinely sorry for wronging God. The fasting, you know, wearing sackcloth, it's, it's about you know, saying no to enjoying the good things in life because the people are sorry for their sins. Now they, are, they are grieving that their sins have, have offended God. So they U-turn, they repent, they turn away from sin, and they turn to God. Now friends, there are two things that surprise me from this passage. It's a, there are two things about their repentance that are really interesting for me. So there are two, two things that surprise me. First, it's about how wicked they are. Okay, so what, might, what is their sin? Now, verse 8 tells us, okay, so this is in the king's decree, he says, let everyone, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So they're evil, they're violent. Now the Ninevites were part of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire boasted of its evil ways, its wicked ways, its violence. It made, it made sure everyone knew so that all the other nations would be scared. So when the when Assyrians are knocking on their door, they, they'll be scared, they'll say, okay, I surrender. They won't put out a fight, they won't even try. Because it's just too violent. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, when Pastor Andrew preached, he showed you some pictures of the, the Ninevites, uh, what the, sorry, what the Assyrians did. Okay, so, uh, and actually, with the pictures, there's supposed to be an explanation. I read, I read a journal article. Now, journal articles are supposed to be boring. But this journal article I read on the Assyrian, what the Assyrians did, it felt like a slasher movie. And in their case, beheading wasn't gruesome enough. They boasted of creative ways uh, to torture people for fun, to show that they are powerful. And some of this torture go beyond uh, the gas chambers of World War II. Yet, these wicked uh, diabolical people all U-turned. They repented. That's the first surprise. And the second surprise for me is when they repented. So if you look at our passage, which day did they repent? Day three? No. Day one. So verse three says the city takes uh, three days to walk through. This means Jonah should have needed three days to make sure everyone heard this message and then maybe a few more days for them to think about it, then they repent. But no. Now verse, what's this? verse 4 says he, he began going the, a day's journey. In verse 5, they repented. They repented on day 1. These evil, wicked Ninevites repented on day 1. And not just, and the passage shows us it's, it's not just well, the everyday uh, Ninevites. It's the greatest to the least, everyone. The greatest, including the king. In verse six, he got off his royal throne. He changed out of his royal tailor-made clothes. He wore sackcloth and he sat humbly in the dirt, in the dust, just like everyone else. There's no difference between the greatest and the least. 
all fasted, all wore sackcloth, all grieved for sin. And this passage tells us, uh, as a side note, that no matter who you are, no matter how dark your heart is, how dark your actions have been, there is hope for you. You can you turn today. But let's think a little bit more about what this U-turn means. What else does this U-turn mean? What else does the passage have to say? Okay, let's look at let's look at verse seven to nine. What does from verse seven to nine? This, this is what the king decrees. As I read it, let's see what repentance looks like. Verse seven. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil, evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may let, yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So in this passage, the king gives a four-step action plan for Nineveh, for Nineveh's repentance. Step one. Grieve uh, for your sin. So uh, are, it's verse 7 to 8, they are supposed to fast. They're supposed to wear sackcloth. Uh, they're supposed to grieve, say sorry for their sin, show anguish for their sin. Not just the people, even the animals do that. Step 2. They're supposed to call urgently on God. So this is a, uh, this, they're supposed to go for their prayer meetings urgently. They're supposed to, go, so to pray every day urgently because their lives are in danger. The only one who can help them is God. So then pray urgently. Step three, change your ways. The repentance changes, you know, some of the main change of all of your life, not just your religious part of your life, not just going to, going to church, listening to God. No, change all your life. You see, for God's people, for the Israelites, one of the things they love to do is to, they love to do the religious thing. But, they just kept their repentance to the religious thing. They don't, they don't expand their repentance to every part of life. So in this passage, this is what God says to the Israelites. So, the Israel, so first he quotes what the Israelites says. Why have we fasted and you see not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So in our passage today, it's not enough to just do the religious thing, to do the fasting, to do the wearing the wear a sackcloth just to pray. No, you need to change your life. You need to U-turn from their great wickedness to live God's way. So that's what they did. They all U-turn from their sin and to, to turn towards God. And last, they trust God. God's people trust God to save. So it's verse 9, right? The king says, very interesting. So after all the repentance, he says, who knows? Who knows? Will God repent? I don't know. Now what he's saying is, what he's saying is, he knows that his repentance, so the nation's repentance, doesn't mean he can force God to, to forgive them. He can't say, hey God, look at us. We are repenting, we are wearing sackcloth, we are praying to you. You owe it to us to forgive us. No. He's doing all the repenting. Yeah, he and the nation doing all the repenting, all the prayer. 
but they know that it's not their repentance that saves them. It's God who saves them. That's just like what we learned last week in Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. The last, part, the last line in Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. The ESV reads, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is God's prerogative. God alone decides who will be saved. God alone has the power to save. Salvation doesn't belong to how well the Ninevites repent. It cannot force God to, to, to forgive them when they repent. No. The king has to trust God to save. So were the Ninevites overthrown? Verse 10 says, no. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God saw the, how the Ninevites, God saw the Ninevites U-turning. So God you turned from the bad stuff that he had threatened. Now, I need to clarify this because some of you might, uh, might wonder, if God changes his mind about, about what he says, then uh, will God... That means God, God doesn't know the future, is it? That the, God doesn't know that the, the Ninevites will repent? Now, this is a problem because if, we, if God can say something and then change his mind later then we can't trust him to do what he says. So if he says that he'll forgive you, how can you trust that? Because he can change his mind later and not forgive you. Now the, the explanation that makes more sense to me for this passage is our language is too simple to, to describe God. Human language. So not just English. Human language is too simple to describe God. Because our passage shows us that God fully intended uh, to punish, to judge the Ninevites. But God also knew that they would repent. And, if they, and when they repented, He will relent uh, from sending disaster. And God has, has revealed that this is what He is like, where, uh, like in this passage in Jeremiah. So God, when God announces judgment, when God threatens judgment, that's also an opportunity to repent. Is God's character to be just and fair? Yes. But it's also in His character to forgive, to relent from judgment. So God is acting in His character still uh, to relent from sending judgments, from sending disaster on the Ninevites. So if God acts in His character to relent uh, from sending judgment, then everyone who you turns from sin uh, can hope in God and trust God. That's what we read in Psalm 130, including the Israelites. So what does this passage mean uh, for the Israelites? This passage means that the Israelites must U-turn. They must U-turn. Okay, so let me read to you a few passages and talk about their sin. Okay, so we're going to have a whirlwind tour of the Israelite history. Okay, so in the, in the time of Jonah, so this is what the, uh, the Bible says about, about the people. In the 15th year, year, year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah. Okay, so this is the southern kingdom. Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, the northern kingdom, became king of Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. 
He did evil in the, in the eyes of God, the Lord and did not turn, from, turn away from any of the sins Jeroboam, of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. This is the first king of the northern kingdom, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Nebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance, to the, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, Prophet from Gath Hepper. So that's our prophet, Jonah, the son of Amittai. So this passage shows us that God's people, they were doing well. Their boundaries are being restored. Military conquests successful. They were getting back their lands from the surrounding countries. Their territory was expanding and they were listening to God sometimes. Sometimes, half of the time. It's listening to, to God only about the good stuff, about expanding the kingdom. But when it comes to obeying God, it says that they were evil. They were wicked. Now, this passage says that they're they evil in the doing, doing particular sins. And the other prophets say they're evil in, in relationship with each other. They're being unjust, unkind to each other, unloving to each other. And they still worshipped idols. So, they, these people, they are in danger of God's destruction. And one of, let me focus just on the idolatry part. So one area uh, that they are sinning is that they are worshipping, uh, they are doing sins of, if you can look at, look, see here, sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Okay, so this is the first king of Israel. He led them to worship golden calves. Okay, so in Jonah's time, they were doing evil, thumbs down, and they were worshipping golden calves. Where did this golden calf come from? These golden cows come from the first king of the northern kingdom. So this is what the king said. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out, up, out of Egypt. So two golden calves brought you, and these are the calves, these idols brought you out of Egypt. So the timeline again, so this is Jonah's time. And way back, when the first king, in the first king of Israel day, he set up golden calves. And they're still worshipping the same golden calves. They're worshipping idols. And he's saying these idols brought them out of Egypt. These are the idols that saved them. And if, you, if you're familiar with what the Bible says about golden calves, you realize, hey, this is not the first golden calf in the Bible. Where did the first golden calf come from? Exodus. Exodus chapter 32 verse 4. He took what they had handed him and made it into a, an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Okay, so the, the materials they use is gold. So this is a golden calf. Fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Again, you see, they're saying that these calves brought them out of Egypt. So the first golden calf came all the way back in Moses' time. Moses' time, people sinned against God. They, they made calves to golden calf to worship God. And they said, this golden calf brought you out of Egypt. Okay, why are we doing this whirlwind tour? Because Jonah chapter, chapter 3 verse 10 must have sounded really familiar to the people of Israel's time. Of Jonah's day. You see, chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the last part, that God relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. 
And they say, hey, this, this sounds a bit familiar. Let me look at my Bible. So they take out their Bibles, they flip to Exodus, they read the golden calf incident, but how God almost destroyed the people after the golden calf incident. And by God, and God, but Moses prayed that God remember his promises and God will spare his people. That's chapter, just in Exodus 32. And then they will come across Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. If you compare the two verses, they are really, really, really similar. So what's, why is it so similar? So just as God relented for sending disaster in Exodus for the golden calf, so God is relenting. God is relented from destruction from Nineveh. So God is a God of mercy. God wants people to relent. God wants his people to repent. So the people of Jonah's time, the Israelites, the Israelites worshipping golden calves, the Israelites worshipping idols, the Israelites being unkind, being hurtful, being wicked to one another, God tells them, I hate your golden calves. I hate your sin. You are in danger of judgment just like the Ninevites. Learn repentance from the Ninevites. And even their animals will repent, but you don't repent. Learn to grieve for sin, to pray, to change your ways, to trust, so that God may you turn from his wrath on you. And no matter how far you have gone in your sin, there is forgiveness if you hope in God, you trust in God. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For, the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Unfortunately, Israel did not repent. They continued saying no to God. So 30 years after Jonah's time, God allowed Israel to be destroyed. And people kicked out of the land, people exiled. Israel must repent. What about you? Will you U-turn? So we are all under God's wrath when we reject Him. Now sometimes we reject this God uh, who made us by ignoring Him completely. We do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. And, uh, and also sometimes we reject this God like Israel. Well, we, we trust Him, we, hope, we trust Him for hope in this world. We hold on to the religious stuff. But there's this part of our lives that we say, where we draw a line, where God cannot cross through, where God has no authority over. Now, many years later, after Jonah's time, Jesus warns the people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment uh, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. These men of Nineveh, the ones that we saw in Jonah chapter 3, they repented at Jonah's preaching. 
But now, someone greater than Jonah is here. And you and I live in that time when the one greater than Jonah is here. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is greater than the the prophet Jonah. Jesus is God and he, God himself. So it's not just uh, Jonah as the mouthpiece, as God's mouthpiece telling you what God is saying. No, God himself comes to tell you to you turn from your sin to be in this kingdom. He calls you and I to repent. The difference between Jonah and Jesus is great. It's the difference between getting a WhatsApp from a loved one compared to uh, meeting a loved one outside without a mask. Now, what, did, what little did Jonah say? Okay, what little did Jonah say? In, in Jonah chapter, chapter 3, eight words in English. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. You and I have much more than these eight words, these five words. You and I have Jesus, the Word of God. Jesus, the Word, who reveals everything you need to know about God. So you and I must repent. So Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son. That's Jesus, who is himself God and in, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So if you want to know God, how do you know God? You, look at, you, you know God through Jesus. Read the Bible. See what Jesus did. Listen to what Jesus says. And for you and I, the right response is to repent, to U-turn from our ways to Jesus' ways. Someone greater is here. This means that if you don't trust what Jesus says, if you don't trust Jesus, you don't trust what the Bible says, Jesus says that you will be condemned. So it's only through this U-turn, it's only through trusting in Jesus that you can be saved from the condemnation. If not, when you die, no one can say that you're in a better place. No. You will be in a far worse place under God's condemnation. I heard uh, uh, so someone I, I knew was trying to tell her, her friend about Jesus. Uh, this non, a non-Christian friend about Jesus, and this is what this non-Christian friend said in response. This, this non-Christian friend was very angry. This friend said angrily, "I don't believe you. Are you trying to say that I'm wrong for my whole life?" Yet, in our passage, God did not exempt the old Israelites from the repentance because they rejected God all their lives. And neither did God exempt the young Christians from repentance because they're not yet 18, not old enough to make up their own minds. All repented. The greatest to the least. So friends, uh, friends who don't believe in Jesus, this story of U-turns is for you. You turn from your sin, you turn towards God. And what would this U-turn look like? This U-turn looks like what, what we saw with the Ninevites. Number one, grieve for your sin. Grieve that you have sinned against God. Step two, pray to God for Jesus' help to save you. Step three, 
change your ways, stop living your own way, and now live your life under God's way, under Jesus' way. And step four, trust Jesus to save. You turn to Jesus, God and God will you turn from his wrath on you. Jesus himself will redeem you from all your sins. Like what we read in Psalm 130. Someone greater has come. If us Christians, uh, we like to U-turn only in the, the religious sense. We like to U-turn, uh, maybe be more involved in church, go for Bible studies. Or we only limit our U-turn to a particular area of life. But there's this, this other area that we will not repent. That this is our space, our zone. We, so what we do is, we, sometimes we are like the Israelites. We like a little bit of God, but we want everything else. So friends, we need to U-turn. We need to com- have a complete U-turn. We need to learn repentance uh, like, the, like the king of the Ninevites. We need to keep U-turning from sin. So same, same four steps. Step one, we grieve Grief for us is grief that you have given in to the sin that Jesus has saved you from. Step two, pray for help from God through Jesus for this sin. Step three, change your ways completely. Stop indulging in the sin. Confess your sin to a brother or sister to keep you accountable. And your brother or sister, you'll notice your brother or sister is a fellow repenter who is still repenting. You can trust him or her for encouragement as you repent. And step four, trust in Jesus' complete forgiveness to to save you and to help you to follow him. Beware of continuing in your sin without repentance. You turn to Jesus for help. He himself will redeem you from all your sins. Let me close with a story that I heard yesterday at the men's ministry. Men's ministry, a conference on prayer. So this is a story that uh, Tim Keller read about from a book uh, by Elizabeth Elliot. So Elizabeth Elliot, remember this story from her, from her childhood? So what happened is, she, she, has, so she has a younger brother, and the younger the parents allowed the younger brother as a boy to play with any toy that they want in the, in the house. Any toy. The only condition is they must pack up. I tell you, listen, uh, any toy, but you must take up. Okay. Now, one day, uh, this, this boy was playing with all his toys, and then it was time for piano practice. But he didn't have time to pack his toys. So what did he do? He decided to just go practice his piano. Go for his piano practice and leave the, all the toys all, all over the floor. Okay. And now in, in those days, in those olden times, when you practice a piano, what you're doing is you're not just practicing, I don't know, Beethoven or Mozart or whatever it is. You're actually practicing hymns, practicing to play hymns. So he's practicing hymns, I don't know, How Great Thou Art, Amazing Grace. And then his mother comes in and sees, she sees the mess. And then she goes up to her son and says, You haven't kept the toys. And her son, busy playing the piano, he says, Mom, can't you see I'm praising God? And the mom, the mom goes, to, goes to him and, and says, What use is it praising God when you're not obeying Him? 
friends, you turn from your sin. You turn completely from your sin. He himself will redeem you from all your sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your word bring life. May you have mercy on us as we turn to you for help. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, uh, Nick, for the sharing. Uh, we now will be moving to time of reflection and discussion. Uh, so for those of you on Zoom, uh, we'll be putting you into the breakout rooms. Uh, and for those who are here, physically, uh, we'll be please turn to your neighbours left and right and we'll discuss these following two questions. Okay, number one, uh, why do we need God's mercy? And number two, uh, what might repentance look like for us as a community? So uh, let's take about three to four minutes and we'll come back. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.